0: All right, that's like there, and then I brought some notes that says, I look forward and address the audience, so I'm going to start with that one, <laughs> so I uh, forgot where I was for a few minutes. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the English language t- takes on some nuanced meanings for words, and one of those that we typically do is, uh, hopefully that's not, that, is that on this side, guys? So, I'll keep this, this handy just in case, but we'll, we'll work through whatever's going here. Uh, most of uh, the sermon slides, most of that material's in your bulletin, So, but this is going to cooperate with us, and, and uh, we'll get moving forward. But I was talking about the nuance of the English language, and one of those nuanced words is pregnant. And we always think of it in terms of women having the babies, but the word can be used more generally because I have been pregnant with this message. Uh, it's been growing in me for four months or five ever since Pastor preached the sermon some time ago, um, back in October, and I had this concept of uh, this sermon that had come to mind, and I couldn't quite bring it to the forefront of my thinking, so. The, the thought today has to do with the elders' connection on unity. So I'm going to kind of share with you my thinking in that process that, uh, that had come over me. When Pastor was, uh, had delivered a message in October on unity, something began to touch me. And the best way I can describe it for you before we get rolling here is this. How many of you have been touched by or understand what happens when there's disunity or discord in a home between the parents. What's the effect that that would have on the child? Right, it's the the same sensation came to me about our church and our church life. That parents in the church here aren't just the pastors. It's the pastor and the elders. And if the pastor and the elders aren't getting along, we, the children, are going to have that same miserable and awkward feeling that children have in homes where parents don't get along. That's the fabric of the message today. So before we read our master text, which is going to come from Titus, let's take a look um, at the perspective of why the elders provide unity in the church amid a very busy uh, pastor, as you said, pastor, bivocational. So, how many of you know who this character is? The tick, very good, all right. So, the the Tigger himself had a a song. Do you remember it? He used to glorify himself a little bit. Do you you recall what it says? Phil wants me to sing it. Now, you know better. (laughs) All right. The wonderful thing about tiggers is tiggers are wonderful things. The tops are made of the rubber. The bottoms are made of the springs. They're bouncy, trouncy, ouncey, pouncy, fun, 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 fun. But the most wonderful thing about tiggers is Whoever said it right, you get the prize. I'm the only one. But the problem with that is that works great for Tiggers, but not so much for people. Because when it comes to people, as that 1968 Harry Nielsen uh, class reminds us, one is the loneliest number. And this is especially true when it comes to pastors. Pastors over Christ's assembly stand out among the crowd. All eyes and ears are constantly on them. And being held to a higher standard, I would say as it were, but as it is, being held to a higher standard, the words and the actions of pastors and their family members come under close scrutiny. And... Add to that the demands of the pastor anyway. What they carry in their hearts toward their, their sheep who are herding, And um, the work that they do and the labor. And especially add to that bivocationalism. Our pastor has a day job. That means he has around the clock, he's on point. And it's no surprise then that a unique position like that leads them to these staggering statistics that you see on the screen here. 63% of pastors feel like they're under constant scrutiny. I don't know what's wrong with the other, um, what would it be, 37%? They're just not aware or something, uh, or not effective. I don't know which, which one it is. 63%. 78% pay a heavy price by having their vacation interrupted, or maybe the birth of a grandchild is interrupted, Um, just whatever a special life moment, 78% of them have said, if I look back on what I'm doing, that is a significant factor for me, that um, that is a sacrifice to the Lord. An overwhelming majority, 80% of pastors report infighting within the congregation that is the relevance and pertinence for the message today on unity. We will connect that squarely with the Office of the Elders for helping with that situation. Get this one. Now, 38% looks like the low number, right? But in reality, that's two out of five. Would you agree with me? Did I do, Lilly said yes, so I'm going with that. So it's two out of five. That means if 38% are considering quitting, every time you talk to five different pastors, two of them at the time you're talking to them are thinking about quitting being a pastor. And many of us encounter five pastors in a two or three week period. Two of those five are, quit, are considering, on average, are considering giving up uh, the pastoring altogether. But perhaps the saddest of all, Going back to the Tigger example, 72% report they have no close friend. Now I want to add to that no close human friend because they have a close relationship with the Lord as we all, he's the one that we love first. But one on earth is the loneliest number. There's just too much work for one individual, no matter how capable that individual may be. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the basis for elders in a church, in a functioning church. So um, our message today is going to come from the book of Titus. I know it took a while getting to the text, but it was important to understand that this is a two-part message. And I wanted to set the context for part one, our Lord prayed and and he pleaded for our unity. It's the first thing first, and elders play a huge role in preserving unity in our church. So part one is dedicated to the elders' role on preserving unity among us, and next week, part two, We'll, take a, we'll delve into some of the other aspects in this Titus 1 text. But please stand with me. Let's honor God in the reading of his word. Titus chapter 1, starting with verse 1, and we're going to read through um, verse 11. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which god who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which i have been entrusted by the command of god our savior to titus my true child in a common faith grace and peace from god the father and christ jesus our savior this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and has children or believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the spotlight has been on pastors um, quite a bit. And so we're going to make a shift here. Um, today's teaching um, is coming from uh, that's Paul chapter verse, or chapter one, verses one through 11. And although Paul wrote to Titus, and what's important in this passage is that Titus is now serving in Crete under Paul as the pastor to the church on Crete. So Titus' role here is pastor. But we're going to take the spotlight off the pastor in this message, and the spotlight is going to be on the elders today. We're going to start with that by looking at the terms that Paul used when he instructed Titus to recruit help. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, the first word there, elders, is the Greek word, Presbyteros. Presbyteros. If you practice that, you'll enjoy saying it as much as I do. I just love the way that thing rolls off my tongue. And I got good at it too. At first, it was pretty awkward. Presbyteros. They are advanced in life. It is a term of rank or office in the assembly of God's people. A rank. Or office in the assembly of God's people. So it's no secret to anyone, we have four elders here. If you're new, you may or may not know who they are. I'll make sure that before today is out, everyone knows who they are. But for now, we have four elders in this church, and I think I would agree here that they are indeed people in this assembly that are of rank or in a capacity of authority in this church. Pastor, can you agree with that? Absolutely. Thank you. That term also, um, Presbyterios, do you remember the 70 elders that were in the wilderness with Moses that helped him get up to Sinai? Uh, they were actually, God ordered that they appoint 70 elders. This is the same word in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. You all know that the, the, the Hebrew Bible was translated in 300 or so B.C. into Greek. And when they did that, that word that God commanded Moses to appoint these 70, that word is presbyteros in the Old Testament as well. In verse 7 of Titus chapter 1, He said, he started to talk about these elders, but he used a different term. This term is episkopos. And as much as I like saying presbyteros, I like episkopos even better. So I encourage you to give it a try. All right? So episkopos is the word there that says overseers, or if you're in the New King James Version, uh, I think it might be bishop. They are... Guardians, and I love this, I love you, they just ooh, get excited here. You know, we talk about guardian angels, right? We think of them in the Bible. God assigned guardians here in the church. So in that situation with the uh, guardians and the guardian angels, um, we had a, um, a comparison here with elders in this word, episcopos or bishop, as guardians in the church, um, in Christ's assemblies, who see that things are done rightly in the church, see that things are done rightly in the church. So um, that word is a metaphor in the Greek Old Testament. It was used for officials that had a religious duty in the temple, And that temple, one of those temples was seeing to the proper collection for the temple building and upkeep. What would that be sort of our equivalent to here today? Our building fund, right? We talk about our building fund and and, uh, get excited about it. So that could be one possible modern day application that the word episkopos is talking about. Guardians of the money bag. Now, we know how important that is from looking at uh, the example of Judas, right, in the Old Testament. The other use of that word in the Greek Old Testament was that of an army commander or um, a captain. So look here on the bottom of the slide. Temple, officials, military, captains. Soldier is a metaphor that we use today for... Christ followers, who, are, who simply think of our elders then, if we're soldiers in Christ's army, then our elders are our captains over us in Christ's army as we get deployed. The rationale then that, going back to Titus 1.5, the rationale that Paul gave for appointing elders was to put God's house in order. Put God's house in order. Now, Paul had learned the hard way. Paul had learned the hard way throughout the years that without the continuous oversight and instruction, doctrinal and liturgical factions start to form that can take a church off mission. Just like when the parents aren't watching the kids things start to go awry. And without the constant effort and attention to the doctrine, which is so important, and with the attention and the focus on the relational aspects in the church, things go bouncing around and and out of control. They become like Tigger's tail, bouncy, ouncy, trouncy, and flouncy. So you remember years earlier that Paul had warned there was a splintering church in Corinth And what did Paul say to them? He had to warn them. He said, it was chaotic, he said. God is not the God of confusion, but the God of peace. And that is the same situation in all God's house. Titus showed a lot of promise as a budding pastor, but Paul wanted to nip this one in the bud. And as good as Titus was, Titus was no Paul. So to advance the case of Christ, he would need the help of godly and spirit-filled people that were already on the ground where he was occupied in Crete. So in your bulletins today, we find that all of what I just said can't fall on one individual. If it all comes down on the pastor, you're going to have a church of about 12 people right before the doors close. I think you all know exactly how that works, right? And uh, we've seen it. We see the buildings. And more of them uh, become available. But then they're replaced because new lampstands go up. And there's a lampstand here. There is a lampstand here that is bright. When I joined here nearly three years ago, one of my first impressions was wow, these people love each other. What did Jesus say? How would we know that it was real? By our love for one another. That didn't happen by accident. You all didn't just come here because you knew that you were going to be here with everybody that you liked is just like you. We're all different. We are way different. Right? But we are connected. I walked in here. I've been I've been around and it's like this this is the real deal. There's no factions here. There's no cliques. And even today I keep an eye on things like that. People mix and match and they, they you know, there's a variety pack every time. Pastor says, we'll meet and greet each other. You never see the same groups forming up and huddling together. You see people mingling, mixing, and you see God's family acting like a functioning God's family. Not an accident. Pastors become overwhelmed uh, because there are many. Look at verse 10, Titus chapter 1 and verse 10. It says, there are many who, and then it gives this list, this terrible list of things that are going on in Crete that thankfully are not happening here in Blessed Life Fellowship. You know why they're not happening here? The empty talk and the deception and the insubordination. I'm not saying things don't happen here among our people, but by and large, the reason that things go and operate the way they do is because our godly elders have been installed in this church and are doing the work that God has put them in their office to do. And just because our problems aren't the same as in the book of Titus, there are many who, there are many who hurt. Sitting right out here, maybe standing here, there are many who hurt. You may have physical pain. You may have emotional pain. You may have been bereaved lately. Your hopes and dreams may have come tumbling down in your vocation. Maybe your child of yours walked out on you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. There are many. There are many who And there are many who need the pastor and it's all that weight and all that gravitas and all of that that's on you gets put on him. So a critical function of the church elders is to share some of the pastor's burden to help lighten his load, maybe in some regard. But do you know, I'm going to challenge that the number one grievance of a pastor that causes him to want to quit, that needs the load lightened on, is when the church, his church, doesn't get along. 80% of the pastors, the highest number in the poll, reported that the grief, the sacrifice, is when the family is fighting. The family fights because there's not unity. There's not unity because the pastor doesn't have any help. The elders, then, the elders provide unity in our church. That fights that never happen become valuable resource time for this pastor in prayer. Now we're on the proactive side, right not the reactive side. That's how God intends us to be. In October of 23, this was when I began the message and said that word pregnant. This is when that happened to me. This was the moment of conception then for the message that comes out today. And I can tell you this, I'm glad that my pregnancy only lasted four and a half months. That's way better than than nine, right? But this has finally fi- found its place because it's the Spirit's timing, not my timing. The pastor gave this message called United We Stand, Divided We Fall. And in there, he said, if our main goal is not the unity of the saints, then we have greatly erred. Having worked through it in my spirit through, through these passages, this message that I'm preaching today, I am convinced goes directly to that message that you delivered back in October. And it for why we are all here connected to one another today. Amen. Amen. Elders share the load of the pastor by preserving unity at the core of a functioning Christ assembly. You know, pastor, the conviction that you said that with, that really stirred me. And it was like, little by little, I just became aware of the consistent presence and participation that our elders, the Holes and the Suver groups, that they have in every facet of our church functions. It's not just Sunday. It's all week long. You find them all mixed and mingled somewhere Amid this church functioning body, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're going to find one of our elders that are involved in a church function. And uh, we then think of, I guess, as it began that way, it began to stir in me that the overwhelming effect of the presence of the elders in this church is like a spiritual garment that's been placed around us that keeps us warm together. I can look at your faces with such joy because I, I don't have to say anything else. Those of you who have been here any time at all know exactly what I'm talking about. The problem, there is no problem. Let me say this again. The, it, the message is one of perception because we've never really Brought that element into the spotlight. Which is all that this message is doing today. It's making us take note. As though if it's a wonderful life. The, the main character had a chance to see. What would the town be without me? We've got that exact same thing that we could ask ourselves. What would this room look like? without the four of our elders and the work that they're doing here. So with this passage of Titus 1 in mind, um, I began to see that the elders shared the load by preserving the the unity at the core. And I think this is important for us to get. They preserved the unity at the core of a functioning Christ assembly. A house divided against itself will not stand, but God's house stands. In Ephesians, I think this text makes it more evident than a lot of the other ones that I've looked at. So I've I've decided to look at Ephesians. Um, I think the chapter is two. I've omitted the chapter there. So in the bottom of the box, it's chapter two. 19b, that's the last half of verse 19 through 21. So I'll read that as it it is here um, while it's on the screen. Um, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, praise God, Old structure being joined together grows into a holy temple into in the Lord. In the Lord. Christ is the cornerstone. He should be mentioned first. Christ is the cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets, along with those that lead in assemblies, they become the foundation. Our pastors, I submit to you that in this passage... Our pastors and the elders are the beams and the girders of the structure that holds it together and keeps it from crumbling down on the foundation and the cornerstone. I'll say that one more time. In God's house, Christ is the cornerstone. His word, the prophets, he's laid a solid foundation. Our pastors And our elders are the beams and girders that give the core structure its strength for the rest of us to reside in, if that helps you. Amen. So let's look at Titus chapter 1, verse 5. I want to look at it a little bit closer, so I'm going to slow down a little bit. I'd ask you if you have your Bible or device, you might want to open it. Paul left Titus in Crete. This is why I left you in Crete. That you might appoint elders and put what remained into order in every town as I directed you. And that word, appoint, is going to carry us through for the rest of the message. So, you can see the Greek word there, and it really doesn't make that much difference. The point is that he left him there. He left him in Crete to appoint the elders. He left him there as at the helm of the church as the pastor. That's Titus's role. But how then does it say that Pastor Titus is going to enlist the help of these elders. Does it say that there's going to be a hidden ballot? No, there's no hidden ballot. There's no show of hands all in favor of Bradley being an elder say yes. No, that's not happening. And there's no backroom board decision. He is to do it by appointing them himself as directed by the Holy Spirit through the pastoral anointing that is on Him. You all recognize that, right? Amen. Our pastors are anointed by God for the work that they're doing in this church. That anointing is what appoints officers in this church and every other church. They anoint him. So it's not by vote, it's by anointing, and that is the charge that Paul had given to Titus. The church, in your bulletin you will find, the church is a monarchy, and offices come by appointment, not by popular vote. So the apostles were appointed by Jesus. You can see this in Jesus. The apostles were appointed by Jesus, In uh, John, then later, because Judas had fallen away, the resurrected Jesus Christ appointed Paul as an apostle in Acts 26. You can find Paul, the apostle, then he is appointing elders in Acts uh, chapter 14, and it continues on down the line throughout history, Until this very day where we're sitting here in the church. So in this regard, the practice of anointing flows downhill. So like anointing, the act of appointing elders flows down and preserves unity at the core of the church body. A beautiful Old Testament poetic expression of this is given in Psalm 133. Notice how this very compact, nice poem draws in unity and the flowing or the, um, the flowing down of appointment or anointing. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. The reason that unity is preserved by this anointing and the flowing down is simple. By the pastor making the choice, it assures that we find the people at the core that are like-minded and like-hearted with the pastor. So as the Holy Spirit has anointed the pastor the Holy Spirit has equipped the pastor to discern those of like-mindedness and like motivation to share the load of the ministry. And he, through the Holy Spirit, can discern those who meet the, those qualifications that were spelled out by Titus in Titus 1, uh, verses 7, 8, and 9. But still, the book of Philippians, and let's go to Philippians um, with me. Let's go to chapter Philippians chapter 1. So Philippians makes a great case study and um, for this part of the message. And so let's just go ahead, um, go with me in your device there. I'm going to try to see if I can wrangle some wires to keep that thing, but we really don't need it. Um, chapter 1, verse 1. And I want to get this part for us. Let's look at this text based on the like-mindedness and like-heartedness that are at the root of unity in the church. Notice, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but we'll bring it into focus. In verse 1, Paul is writing to... The overseers. So there's your word. Episcopos. Did y'all practice it? Episcopos. He's writing to the elders, right? Now, over in chapter 4, look what he has to say. I entreat Judea and Synthaki to agree in the Lord. There's some infighting. Uh, Paul's not even there. He's in prison. What's breaking his heart? Squabbling in the family at Philippi. Who's he addressing? The elders. So let's see what he has to say in chapter 1 and verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that when I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Chapter 2 and verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from my love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, I'm going to go on to verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. If we can do that, if I can count Henry more significant than me and I can drop what I'm doing because my brother Henry needs me to pay attention, then I will charge all of us with this thought that's because of the unity that's at the fabric of this church through our elders who have permitted it for us because that has flown down from them to me. As it flows from the pastor to them, God wants us to be connected. We only know that we're connected when we can make that true of ourselves, when you can consider your brother or sister sitting next to you more significant than you. What's a pie in the sky? Wonderful, plastic, fantastic, I hear that sometimes. Is it true? And that's that's the, the relevance for our elders in this church and the unity that they're preserving by working in tandem with the pastor and in tandem with the Word of God and in prayer with you and for you and with Him and for Him day by day, week by week, and year after year. Their continuous presence has nothing but encouragement and it affects everything that goes on in this church, even it affects the way that you and I operate and can openly love and cons- love one another and consider each other better than the next. All right, so bringing this down to a close, you get a bonus pass- passage today. Numbers 11, um, 16, and 17. In Numbers 11, 16, and 17, you will see that the Lord came down And took some of the spirit. Now get this. He took some of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. I want to read that. You can go there with me. Numbers 11, 16, and 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tents of the meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Unity. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the Spirit that is on you, and praise God, I will put it on them, And they shall bear the burden of the people with you. That is the basis that elders preserve the unity for a functioning church. And it's another reason for us not to have the attitude, well, that's the Old Testament. There would not be a new one if there weren't the old one. Now, if that weren't enough... There's a double bonus. You get a double bonus here today. John. Chapter 17. The words of our Lord. Man, I love it when I can get into the red words. See all that? John 17, 11. In verse 11, he said to, to the Father as he was... Getting ready to lay down his life. He's on his way out and he's saying to the Father, He said, Father, keep them, that is the 12 apostles, He says, keep them in your name which, of, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, that's what He said in His prayer about the apostles. But you and I get in the picture uh, by going over to verse 20. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, that's us, that they, that's us, that we, all of us here, may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The unity, the unity between the pastor and elders, it flows down onto us, and through the unity, that world will know that Jesus is the Son of God, sent for their salvation. Julie, Mark, Pam, and Steve, I see you in the back. I'm going to ask you to stand momentarily, then I'm going to change the order and ask everyone else to stand. But for now, just in case we have some visitors that aren't familiar, please would you stand so, and all of you turn around so that you can see our elders. These are our godly elders that are installed in our church. And I can tell you, most assuredly go ahead. Absolutely. I can tell you most assuredly, that they meet every qualification that Paul had put forth in any of his scriptures, whether he's talking to Titus or Timothy. I'm going to leave you with this nugget from Leviticus 1922. It says that we should stand. In the presence of our elders. Now I think in that context it meant like older people. But that's okay, right? Because it also surely means the wisdom that we're looking for in our elders, they are the older people. So you all sit, Pam, Steve, Julie, Mark, you sit. Everybody else should stand and honor our pastors according to the scriptures.